This week on Refried Reviews, I'll say it, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, that always starts with a laugh. That'll be a nice change. <laughs> Just like you gave me Diddy flashbacks. Um, that was uh, what that was a reaction to. It was just ooh, yeah. Uh, it was, but you know that was that was something this movie does really well. I really love the cutting to like Good the use chill. of the the use of ludicrous in this film is maybe the best he's ever been used. Counting the Fast and Furious movies, like ludicrous is a symbol of empty wealth. Is like. <laughs> Really hilarious. And that's well not that's not a really fair thing to put on Chris Bridges. He seems like an okay dude. But like the character of Ludacris, that's absolutely what he is. I'm I'm conspicuous consumption, the rapper. Um, <laughs> so did we say big short yet? No, no. Okay. We didn't. Um, well, that's a good enough yeah, segue. Welcome to Refried Reviews, everybody. I'm John. I'm JP. And what what'd you make us watch, man? Well, sort of as an extension. Of uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross last week. It's Fuck Capitalism Month here yeah. on Refried Reviews. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I thought that would be a, a good way to sort of transition out of this one narrow slot of what that kind of behavior can do, you know, yeah. 20 some odd years ago, mm -hmm. and what it could do in 2008 if we expanded that view across the whole economy. What if everyone in America was as big of a dick <laughs> <laughs> as everyone in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? And yeah. guess what? They were. They um, a lot of dicks. Yeah. Um, no, they, they, it, the promise of easy money is a really, really seductive thing. Like, I'm thinking right now about those, uh, those dudes in the bar in Miami. The guy, one guy who was a bartender, now he has a boat. Yeah. Like, sure, they were douchebags and morons. Um, but, like, these guys were working class guys who were probably living paycheck to paycheck. And then suddenly someone told them, like, you can make $2,000 every day. Like, what are you going to do? And they weren't smart enough to save their money, so they were <laughs> yeah. fucked whenever the whole thing fell apart. And they weren't smart enough to see that it was all going to fall apart. Well, was that an Ikea recruiting thing at the end? Yes. Spoilers? Yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna work at an Ikea now. Um, well, I thought those characters in particular were probably the most direct link to Glengarry Glen Ross. And sort of uh, an interesting idea. Since they were a bunch of dudes selling bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and sort of an idea of if you take that methodology... And what if you're not struggling to keep, you know, clothes on your baby and that kind of stuff? Yeah. You're still going to be that person that that company shaped you like into. they always say, you got to clothe that baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this was sort of an interesting view of that, you know, that point of view gone wild. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if um, it was the top 5% of Alec Baldwin's class that yeah. led their own class. Which it fucking did. Like, <laughs> that's the, I, I think about this a whole, whole lot because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 31 years old and, uh, my, like, I was thinking about this, that like someday when millennials are the age of baby boomers and we control, um, like all of Hollywood and we start making those really indulgent retrospective, uh, like prestige TV movies, <laughs> like, like remember when the sixties came out in like 1999 or something. And, like, all that was was a bunch of baby boomers looking back and being like, things sure were awesome when we were young, weren't they? <laughs> like, we're not above that, dude. Oh, no. We're going to do it. <laughs> and my life is going to be the life that's followed. And here's the reason. Senior year of high school, 9-11 happened. 
senior year of college, Katrina happened, and I was there. And then I started working in in finance, and then the financial crisis. Oh, hit. wow. Like, Jerry O'Connell, or whoever he is in 35 years, <laughs> is going to play me uh-huh. in, in this movie. Like, and I'm a not few prou- quick lessons. Yeah, and I'm not proud of that. Like, <laughs> but I, 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 I feel like I have a weird, like, totemic relationship with these big events. Because I mean, I worked for a banking software company at the time. We sold uh, we sold software to community banks, so we were kind of adjacent to all this shit. Like I wasn't selling subprime mortgages or anything; <laughs> I was just selling websites to bankers. And um, yeah, when it happened, like I remember, and I've probably told this story on the podcast before, calling into a bank and saying like, "Hey, can I talk to you about our website services?" And then saying like, "I don't know if banking is going to be legal next month." Wow. Like, we don't know what's happening. We're not going to buy anything. I don't know if I'm going to be in business. Why would I buy a website right now? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was not trained to overcome this objection. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what The Big Short is. It is an overview of the 2008 financial crisis, what led to it, and uh, the, like, three groups of people who saw it coming. And yeah. Got super motherfucking rich off of it. <laughs> um, in sort of the film's central moral quandary, um, as embodied by Steve Carell's character, in my opinion, Frank Baum, like, or Mark Baum, Mark um, Baum yeah. like, how okay is it? Because he's, he's definitely a righteous character, and he's kind of the heart of the, the, the movie. He's the John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness saying, like, you're all full of shit. Mm-hmm. But he's about to get super rich off of it. And, like... He never seems totally okay with that, and I'm not sure the I'm not sure the movie's really interested in answering the question of of whether or not that's okay. It's definitely interested in asking the question, and it's a super fucking interesting question. I mean, what what did you think? Well, we'll be jumping all over the place, yeah. but yeah, that that quandary is really interesting, especially in light of the sequences where I mean, I guess we'll jump all around in the plot. We'll try and do a cursory thing in a little bit. Yeah. But sort of the the scene where a couple of people who know what's going on try and come forward to the press and the press isn't interested because it's complicated because of, you know, the um, the business relationships that he has. Yeah. He wouldn't want to break those. In particular the business relationships. Like it, it really like highlights how few like how a how a group of a small group of players um, with a ton of power Acting in a closed loop is a terrible idea. Like, so how that... everybody was dependent on their relationships with everybody else, and so no one was willing to endanger those to do something to like break the the loop, basically. With everyone shifting risk. Yes. <laughs> but as it relates to uh, the Mark Baum character, yeah, it's it's an interesting quandary, especially when you see things like with the reporter of sometimes just crying a foul doesn't do anything. Yeah. And so on the one end, you can say, yeah, you got rich off this terrible thing. On the other, you could say the only reason anyone started paying attention to it is because of the people pumping money into thinking it would fail. Like, yeah. That may very well have been what got attention at first. Yeah. That, you know, prevented it from getting even worse. Just the fact that there were people betting against this. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the, the, the thing that eventually turned the tide was when, uh, I mean, eventually defaults were so bad that they just couldn't be ignored because the, the thing that really started, like, breaking the whole, the, the financial crisis was companies like Country, Countrywide and, uh, and what was the Lehman other Brothers. Lehman Brothers. Well, Country, there were these retail mortgage lenders, like Countrywide and there was oh. another one, um... I forget what they were, but they were the guys that were actually brokering the loans at the retail level. Mm-hmm. And they started going out of business because mm-hmm. all their loans were shit because um, no one could afford to pay their mortgages. 
Um, and that started, that was the thing that I feel like, I don't know if the movie makes this clear, but in, in the world, um, that's what started setting off the alarm bells of like, if these guys who have been making the mortgages, like are out of business and that's, we can't ignore this now. It's on Fox business. Like when you turn on the TV, Mm -hmm. what does that mean for all these CDOs and everything? Um, and just the willful ignorance could only like, that was what made people start saying, oh yeah, we should probably fucking short all those CDOs that were full of countrywide loans. (laughs) Um, and then everybody else kind of caught up to where uh, Dr. Burry and Mark Baum and Jared Vennett and uh, the two uh, the two young kids, Charlie and Jamie, mm-hmm. um, who I just adore. Those little scamps. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just call them Cornwall Capital as a whole. Cornwall Capital? Yeah, I think. Is that what they're called? I thought so. I thought it was Hornblower or something like that. Uh, I may have looked up the real name or something here. Oh. I'll, I'll verify. But anyway, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> those um, two guys working with uh, Ben Rickert. Yeah, with Ben with Ben Rickert, the weirdo survivalist. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess yeah, you want you want to take us through it. I mean, it was your idea that we that that, that I revisit this horrible <laughs> chapter in my own life um, when when money started being meaningless. I guess before we get into it, I really like let's let's because we usually talk about it the first time we saw the movie. It's a pretty recent movie, so yeah. I'd imagine you saw it. Like a month ago, uh-huh. <laughs> um, in a theater, and you were like, "Oh, I remember when we got fucked." <laughs> Am I pretty accurate in that experience? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I had read the book, and oh, you did, and I listened Is it to. Good? Should I read it? I mean, have you read anything, Michael Lewis? No, I haven't. I've just seen Moneyball in this. I mean, the the only thing I would say is a lot of the the books like this of sort of tracking what people are doing in in a nonfiction summary. Yeah. It might be worthwhile just to read another one that hasn't been made into a movie. There might be more to gain from that. Yeah. Like he did one, um, something boys, flash boys, I think about high frequency trading. And that's, you know, a a very similar thing and a very similar uh, story that'll probably end up a movie eventually. Yeah. But yeah, I I would recommend the book, but that's, that's the only thing I'd say is all of his books are pretty good. So if you jump on one that you don't already know all about. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Um, But, and I I listen to Planet Money and, and have been through the whole financial crisis. So I had a decent idea of sort of the, uh, the bedrock that forms this story and kind of a lot of the confusing words. Well, here's, here's the question I really want to ask you. What was your actual experience in 2008 of the financial crisis? Like where, like did it, did it affect you? Uh, Um, my mom's retirement account took a big hit. So that was something that sort of hadn't occurred to me. And then she just mentioned one day of, um, sort of how, how far down her 503B was. Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't have any huge effects. I mean, I mean, I guess I bought a house kind of in the aftermath and thankfully not, you know, a year or two before. Yeah. So I'm was. probably in a much better position. And just the house was the... probably like super depressed in value. So you got it for a steal. Yeah. It's um, certainly <laughs> cheaper than it is now. Yeah. Hey, you win. Yeah. I mean, I, similarly to the way it unfolds in the movie yeah. and even listening to things like Planet Money as they sort of figured out how it all happened, I think my experience was very much like, you hear about this little thing and, oh, that's weird. And then, oh, it turns out they were also insured for huge amounts and now they're folding. And yeah. so I, I thought the book or the, the book and the movie did a, a pretty good job of like the things you need to know and then rolling it into the bigger disaster as it's occurring. Yeah. I mean, cause this doesn't even go into like AIG who was insuring these mm-hmm. things and correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I am, I'm not the most, uh, the most like well-versed guy, but the people who eventually when you were buying a short, cause a short is basically an insurance policy, right? Sort um, of. It's sort of the, it's like the I always opposite. hear people saying it's a bet that something will lose. And I'm like, why would someone sell that? That sounds like a casino. Um, <laughs> so there, of course, 
once there's money to be made in things on the stock market, yeah. that's too simple. There need to be additional ways. And especially when there are, like, I, I don't believe in this company. What can I do with that information? Yeah. It's essentially promising to buy an amount of stock at the set price in the future is what you're doing when you're shorting. Okay, gotcha. So you're promising that you'll have it, that you will be prepared to buy it at that price at that point. So if you buy it and it's some tiny little thing, and then it ends up being way more successful, then you're fucked because you have promised that you will buy. Or, uh, I think I'm saying it backwards. Yeah. But it's it, not it, at all what I got out of the movie. What I got out of the I movie. I mean, the, was... the movie is much more complicated because it does involve insurance companies. Yeah, what and, I, what and I paying heard, monthly like, was, premiums. Yeah, basically, like, I'm going to buy an insurance contract on X uh, CDO or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pay monthly premiums, which the, C, the people who run the CDO are down with because they get my money every month. Um, or every year or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then if it all goes tits up, then I get an X to one return, like 25 to one or some insano return. And they are willing to give me that return because they think I'm crazy for making this bet and they just want to take my money. Um, am I reasonably accurate in that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is very much just trying to figure a way to be the beneficiary if this thing of fails. Misfortune. And it's sort of the... The reason it might be beneficial from the bank side of like why would you take bets like that of it's mm -hmm. it's sort of an advanced form of hedging yeah where if this thing does go very badly like or if it doesn't go badly you can take in those premiums from people mm -hmm. and then it's sort of if it does go badly then you have to pay them off but you can sort of write off losses from this side so it's it's trying to take advantage of loopholes on so all in addition sides. to getting the premiums the bank is taking advantage of some kind of economic voodoo. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty basically. much. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's that's. So you you weren't working in finance or anything when the financial crisis happened. No. You just read I, I wasn't it. directly affected aside from being uh, interested, and then from uh, you know my my parents yeah. being. Directly you didn't like affected. find it harder to find a job in the years after or anything like no. that. Yeah. No. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, I, I already talked about what happened to me. Um, <laughs> learn to code, people. Yeah, it's handy. <laughs> seriously, guys, learn to code. Um, I don't know how. I wish I did. Um, all I know how to do is fucking make commercials. And if <laughs> no one has any money, no one wants to advertise. Um, I still feel like advertising survived a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there I'll, are worse I'll, industries. I'll probably be okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that that was my experience with it. I felt like, especially on the second viewing, this movie does a really good job of uh, breaking down exactly like what happened in a digestible way. And I've heard it broken up like eight different ways. And it's really, really difficult to get. I'll try, like, maybe let's let's just go through sort of a high-level summary of the mm -hmm. actual financial crisis. So basically, um, in the mid-2000s, uh, during the first half of the Bush years, um, the economy was increasingly propped up on home ownership. Mm -hmm. uh, George W. Bush specifically said, like, we want to be an ownership society. Like, we're going to do all these things to deregulate the mortgage industry to make it easier for people to... Um, sell to buy homes. Mm -hmm. um, so that led to the increase of what are called variable rate subprime loans, where basically you take out a mortgage to buy a house at rate A, and then after a certain point, that balloons up to rate 3A or whatever. And the or way the prime rate of yeah. just sort of however the industry is doing at the time, yeah. that's what you owe then. Yeah. Um, and then uh, people would say, well, that'll be fine because you can take another subprime loan out on this house over here, and then you can sell it when the prime rate hits and then pay off your first loan or whatever. And because um, people viewed homeownership as such a stable asset, it was something that 
in a lot of people's minds, just always went up. So you would always have the uh, ability to refinance and pull more pull more uh, equity out of it. Yeah, in people thought of their houses as ATMs. Mm-hmm. Um, your house is not an ATM, everybody. <laughs> um, so and the well, the I guess to jump even further back, that it, it doesn't. It's not immediately apparent. But even earlier than that, the thing, it's a little flashback in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I forget the name, but the guy who invented uh, it. Michael, uh, Ren- I've got it right here. It's uh, Louis Ranieri. Uh, uh, yes. And by the way, I, te- I, I want to talk a lot about the technique of how this movie was made. Um, but uh, the first thing I want to talk about is this uh, stuff is all shot like in 16 millimeter, <laughs> like retro looking because it's all in the 70s. And that's just, just the, he's full of these little subtle touches. Like later when Margot Robbie shows up to explain what a subprime loan is uh-huh. um, in like probably the movie's most famous like fourth wall breaky didactic <laughs> moment. And this is a very didactic film. Like it's mm-hmm. trying to teach you. Um, while it's entertaining the shit out of you and doing a lot of other things. It's, it's a very ambitious movie in terms of the things it wants to say. But I love how Margot Robbie is like, the color on her segment is way more saturated so that when we cut back to Mark Baum, he's just like, looks all pallid and sad <laughs> by comparison. It's like, it, it, he keeps doing little shit like that that I really, really appreciate. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed the book, but I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. The book was not sexy like this. Really? Like, it made the content interesting, but he didn't find all kinds of amusing off-kilter ways to explain the things to you and stuff. Yeah, gotcha. The book was much more straightforward but understandable. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, I thought I thought the the movie did a lot to sort of add to the the yeah. content. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this guy Louis Ranieri was the first guy to securitize mortgages. Which yeah, meant- so that was sort of the idea of someone's mortgage is fairly stable and banks take in lots of mortgages. So if you bundle a bunch of mortgages together, in theory that's even safer. Yeah. Because if the odd one fails, the other ones that are sure not to fail will definitely cover it. Because in general, they're so stable and it's secure. It's all taking in money, yeah. So if you take all of them and make a big fucking Play-Doh ball out of them, I can sell slices of the resulting Play-Doh ball for pe- to people as a mortgage-backed security. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that sort of was very stable and proper for a while. And, and that, by the way, in and of itself, is a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not where this went wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at least I, in my opinion. Well, I I said it earlier already, but I I feel a lot of this, even moving outside of the Big Short, is is about shifting blame. <clears throat> it's about a big long chain of people saying, well, you know, on this side there should be regulators doing their job. On this side, they're idiots who should know what they're buying. Yeah, and it's it's just a big long chain of like, I can I can fudge this a little bit yeah. with no real oversight of the entire chain that it's just fudging it worse and worse in both directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, the the these mortgage-backed securities have been. So created. this was it was done responsibly for a long time, but sort of as you're saying, the the idea of home ownership was trumpeted more and more, and then as Wall Street gains power and people want more options, more and more people want to invest, and that money has to go somewhere. There, as Margot Robbie says, there's there's only so many you know people willing to buy houses that can make the payments on them. Yeah. So the consequence of that, the hungry machine that's How been do created, you satisfy the demand yeah. for mortgage-backed securities. Find more shitty people. mortgages. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of the uh, it, it ties back into the uh, <laughs> the assholes that they're interviewing who sign sixty mortgages a week. Yeah. Um, 
now that they have been securitized and it's not a bank owns thousands of mortgages and it's very complicated to do anything with them, now they're easy to move around. Yeah. It really starts removing the risk because you can take in a bunch of mortgages, slap a rubber band around them, and sell off the whole thing because there are already tools and instruments yeah, for so how the, to do it electronically and instantly. So the, the, the bank has way less incentive to make sure that you're a good customer who's going to pay off your loans um, because they don't care. The thing's going to be off their books in a week anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's how they make the money. And the insurance aspect of it is is very big and complicated. I thought this mo- the, the movie did a wonderful job of sort of trimming it down to one real relevant scene of talking to the woman at the ratings agency. Yeah. Who's yeah. basically, if we don't give them a AAA, then they will down the street. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I, I, I've been thinking, And I have bosses. Like, yeah. Like, the same as everyone. Yeah, I, I was uh, texting with a, a libertarian friend of mine earlier today saying like, hey, do you think maybe we should nationalize ratings agencies? And his response was, kind of logically, because he's a libertarian, um, yeah, I think that would leave the door open to, uh, you know, manipulation of that through campaign donations and bribery. And my first response was, you mean instead of manipulation using money, like we do now? (laughs) Um, Like, at least that sounds slightly more convoluted than what we do at the moment. We literally just buy ratings, like... That doesn't sound like something there should be competition among. Yeah. Um, it's it's a dumb idea. Um, and maybe maybe nationalizing it's not the best idea either. I'm not entirely sold on that, but like something's better than what we're doing now. It it's with so many of these things, it feels like such a tricky answer where it's it seems like it should be some regulation, but not all regulation and yeah. run entirely by the government is, you know, bound to fail for X, Y, and Z reasons. Fully privatizing is bound to, you know, become monstrous for these other reasons. Yeah. yeah. So to, to get into the events, uh, well, I guess to, 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 to round out basically the, the overview of the, 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 the financial crisis, what eventually happened was these uh, subprime mortgages, uh, or these subprime, uh, the subprime mortgages, which were in mortgage-backed securities, eventually the mortgage-backed securities got chopped up into what was called a CDO. The basic idea being that if you took, uh, that a mortgage-backed security was made up of these things called tranches, which are just layers of varying risk. You got double A, A, B, double B, and so on. Um, and if there wasn't enough double A mortgages to go into a given mortgage-backed security, they would just chop the thing up and then take a bunch of these shitty mortgage-backed securities and pile them into another Play-Doh ball mm-hmm. and then suddenly call it diversified. And that's called a, uh, a, a collateralized, collateralized debt, debt obligation, obligation, a CDO. <laughs> um, and don't even get me started on what a synthetic CDO is because I'm not even sure I understand it. <laughs> Assuming you've seen the movie, that's the Jenga thing. Yes. Collateralized debt obligation. Yes. Um, so once those things were happening, they were even more unstable. So Countrywide goes under... Everybody starts kind of taking a second look at this bullshit they've been buying and realizing, oh, wait, this bullshit's bullshit. (laughs) Um, The banks start trying to unload it. It causes a huge run on the stock market. And then uh, it broke money. Um, Mm -hmm. The countries of uh, Ireland and Spain and Greece to varying degrees were affected. Greece is still just a fucking blighted hellscape because of it. Mm -hmm. Because all these governments uh, invested their pension funds into it because they were told it was super stable. Um, So now these... Legit governments are broke. Like, places have more war because this <laughs> happened. 
because some dudes on Wall Street thought of some bullshit. It's fucking mind-boggling how far-reaching the consequences of these actions were. What was our buyout? I can't remember. The bailout? Um. Oh, it was upwards of a <laughs> bailout. That's an even scarier word than buyout. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't want to choose. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, let Talk to us about who Michael Burry was and kind of how the movie starts, and I'm going to look up how much the bailout was. So chronologically, um, he is sort of the first person to have stumbled onto this whole thing. How did he find out? Uh, because he has Asperger's and a glass left eye and is not real good with people. So he tends to be the more analytical type that prefers to just look at the data. Yeah. Which, I mean, sort of if we tie this into Glengarry, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street, we can see how sort of the machismo, the lifestyle leads to a lot of these assumptions and false trust and uh, misplaced incentives and things like that. Whereas the Christian Bale character of Dr. Michael Burry, it just looks at the numbers and doesn't understand sort of the, doesn't understand why someone would mistrust him. Because it's sort of like, I'm looking at the numbers and they don't add up. Like It was $700 billion, by yeah, the way. I knew it was big. <laughs> it was three quarters of a trillion dollars. I don't know how much money there is. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, we have 300 million citizens. So yeah, if no, you it, split it up into us, that's still a pretty big number. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it, 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 yep, it's a lot. I, I believe it's about $2,200 per person. Excellent. Yeah, um, so that's, uh, yeah. That's, that's what that was, and it, uh, it the bill was about two pages long, and it changed nothing. I'm gonna get angrier as this goes on. I'm real fucking mad about this. Yeah, it's probably good that the movie decided to try the lighthearted slash angry approach because it could have gotten just real angry at the end if they wanted to. Yeah, it could have been worse. Um, yeah, so Dr. Michael Burry figured out that this was happening just by looking at the mortgages. He's sort of the pure data nerd. Yeah, and all, like it's it's fucking mind blowing that that's how someone found out. They just <laughs> actually looked at the mortgages they were buying. Yeah, like. I don't buy a fucking dozen eggs without opening the thing and seeing if there's a broken one in it. Like, but people were really, oh, God, it's, it's happening. Ooh. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and there's the thing of him talking to the other guy who leads the, is it a Lawrence. hedge fund? Or? Yeah, well, he he's uh, running. Scion Capital. Yeah, Scion, he, he's running a fund. Basically, he inherited a bunch of money. He was a doctor who inherited a bunch of money and then started picking some good stocks. And so these guys contacted him to run their fund because he was good at it. Um, but so he, so other people were buying into his fund and he was managing a ton of people's money. And so he finds this thing out and is like, I want to short mortgage backed securities. Um, and he's the first guy to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of meets immediate opposition because people are so convinced of the rock stable nature yeah. of homes in a really dumb way. Like it's just gospel. <laughs> um, like, and it's, it's interesting to me that like, it's, it's, you know, one of the things I complain about uh, on shows like Lost is uh, a lack of, like, just explain it-ness. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, Lost in particular, I pick on it a lot for a lot of reasons, even though I watch the whole thing and I do quite enjoy it. But You mean that no one ever says, wait, what do you mean? Yeah, or, or <laughs> that no one ever says, hold on, step by step, here's what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. And so many problems on that show in particular would be, or other and other shows in general would be resolved if people just did that. And I like that, like, so many of Michael Burry's problems would have been solved if he had just sat people down and said, okay, we're going to do the list. You're going to spend an hour with me and we're going to look at every individual mortgage and I'm going to show you why I believe what I believe. But he's also on the spectrum, so it makes sense that he wouldn't do that. <laughs> like, he seems like a dude who, I mean, yeah, he does kind of have Asperger's, but he, and that's created sort of an, an understandable arrogance within him. 
you know, he's a guy who's right all the time and doesn't really feel the need to explain himself to other people. And I appreciate that, like, the lost syndrome I see in this movie has a character-oriented explanation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Have we have we ever discussed the, um, I think it was, like, Mike Judge's Marin or Nerdist or something, of one of, like, his writing rules on uh, Silicon Valley? No. Like, I, I love it. One of his big things, the rule is at no point should one character say something to another and for the other one, they shouldn't be able to say, I know, I work here. Oh, yeah. If he talks about watching things like uh, CSI or whatever and someone takes a quarter of a page to explain what this piece of equipment does in the office yeah. and he's explaining it to his coworkers who use it every day. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that the the sort of breaking the fourth wall and the celebrity intervention into the movie and stuff was a fun way to kind of have it both ways. Yeah. Where, you know, Christian Bale isn't... Uh, sort of explaining in dumb terms to people. Yeah. He's using all the real words, and then you break the fourth wall a little bit to bring the audience in. Yeah, yeah. And it, it even makes it feel a little more insider of sort of you're seeing how it went down, how they don't want you to see it. Yeah. But I mean, here's the, a sneak peek in with some cliff notes from fun people. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the narrator the narrator of the film is Ryan Gosling's character, Jared Vennett, who worked at uh, Morgan Stanley. No, he didn't work at Morgan Stanley. I forget which one he worked at. I don't think it was Deutsche either. Uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, but, it was one of the banks. Yeah, and uh, he's the guy who takes you through it. And he comes in over voiceover and says, um, yeah, this is super complicated because they want you to not pay attention. Um, they've made it really hard to understand on purpose. It's the same reason that like uh, the Chinese written language is really complicated. Because really? the Chinese written language was invented... I mean, this is what I've heard. Um, mm-hmm. But it was invented in the Middle Ages, and it was invented by the noble class, and they wanted to monopolize literacy. Mm. So they made it really hard to read Chinese <laughs> um, so that peasants and farmers and shit couldn't pick it up. Yeah, writing and encryption are too complicated as different things. Yes. <laughs> Why not just make them the same? <laughs> um, and it's the same... It's this. This. It's not a new trick, guys. Um, <laughs> like... Um, and yeah, that's why I think the movie does a great job of teaching you how this all went down. And it is kind of oversimplifying. I mean, it doesn't really talk about like who Countrywide were. It just has these two guys show up uh, to kind of be the stand-ins for that. And it's more paying attention to kind of what these guys did to short it. Because Michael Burry goes to all the big banks and basically has them build him a financial product, mm-hmm. which is... The, an insurance contract to short these mortgage-backed securities. And then he buys $1.3 billion worth of it. Um, and, with a with what instrument? Yes. <laughs> like his boss's question. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, and then he, then he goes home. So people start getting wind of this. Um, and in particular, Jared Vennett gets wind of it. And he starts trying to sell this product to other people because he looks where Michael Burry looked. And he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, this thing that props up our economy is about to break. Um, and it's going to break in 2007 in, qu- in the first quarter because all these subprime loans are going to go to the prime rate and none of these fucking people who don't have any money and can't afford houses um, are going to be able to pay their loans. So defaults are going to be everywhere. Sub- mortgage-backed securities values are going to go way down because they're going to be full of mortgages in default. Totally makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the market worked normally, that was <laughs> that is what would have happened. Someone makes a shitty financial product. It turns out to be shitty. <laughs> and we all kind of go about our day. Um, some people get poor, and that's sad. But you know what? Capitalism's a contact fucking sport. Um, you don't end up on the phone with someone having them explaining to you that they're only lightly correlated, and it's not unusual yeah. for the thing you're insuring failing, not meaning that you made any money. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. <laughs> so the, these guys find... Uh, Jared Vennett finds out, and he contacts Mark Baum 
And then uh, the uh, Charlie and Jamie, the sort of third uh, play, a group of players in this whole thing, they find out uh, because in the movie they just find an article Jared Fennett wrote in the lobby of Chase while they're being chased out because they don't have enough money to get an ISDA. These guys are a couple of hungry kids. Uh, the, uh, basically, Charlie had saved up a bunch of money taking sailboats up and down the East Coast, had about $100,000 and turned it into $30 million, mm-hmm. um, which, awesome, like, yeah. they're good investors. And their whole, the, it totally makes sense that they'd be these guys because their whole investment strategy was people don't like to think about bad things happening, so they underestimate their likelihood. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to invest thinking that those things are going to happen more often than other people think they do. And they were right. They were right really big. Um, <laughs> and they made $30 million. And that, that fourth wall break, I thought, was another sort of fun use of beyond just explaining what's going on. Yeah. That was that this wasn't how it really happened. Yeah. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, you steal the thunder if you call out stuff yeah. before people look up after yeah. the movie that that's not how it happened. And Bennett does it when he hears from some guy top Pop and Dom about Michael Burry's trade. He's like, this isn't how it happened. I, I would never hang out in a place like this. I have fashion <laughs> friends, um, which is awesome. Like, Jared, Ryan Gosling gives maybe my favorite performance in the whole thing. He's <laughs> such... Oh God, he's such a huge douchebag. Like when he uh, he he's starting to he's calling people trying to find someone to buy this financial product, and uh, he accidentally calls a wrong number into Mark Baum's office, and Mark Baum runs a tiny little fund that's owned by Morgan Stanley, mm-hmm. and he decides to take the meeting, and rightly is like, yeah, we we were a wrong number you called. And you're taking a meeting with us. Like, no one cares about this thing. But, like, the sad, pathetic stagecraft of Jared Bennett's presentation with the Jenga blocks and his little <laughs> assistant. And he's just like, on my left. On my left. <laughs> you see, this guy, he's my quant. And it turns out he does speak English. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that the first time I saw of before the sequence starts you can see him like basically standing in the corner mouthing his speech to himself. Yes. That's While great. they're in the room. <laughs> like he's 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 such a little tin pot dictator. Like he's the saddest most pathetic little piece of shit ever. And at the end of the movie, spoiler, he makes 200 million dollars. Yeah. Personally. So John and Charlie uh, are the founders and partners of Brownfield Capital. Brownfield Capital, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Uh and they uh they they find out about this thing and contact, but they can't they're too small to invest in these uh, shorts. Mm-hmm. So those are like one and a half billion. Yeah, was the minimum amount. To yeah, get they were one point four seven billion short. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so they contact Ben Rickert, who's mm-hmm. a former trader who's gone survivalist because the like this is like this this is a great kind of jumping off point to talk about sort of Ben Rickert and Mark Baum and the one of the big themes of this thing, which is. Uh, Doing this, no matter how noble your intentions are, changes you. Like, in order to be successful on Wall Street, you have to murder a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rickert has realized that and has gotten out of the game. And now he grows all his own food because he's convinced that everyone's a shithead and civilization's going to collapse. Um, why is he convinced of that? Because he spent a whole lot of time among shitheads. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people remember, like, the Margot Robbie fun. I imagine the dope dance is, like, the drama scene that people most remember from this movie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Which, basically, that that scene after... uh, John and Charlie are celebrating that they've just made their huge sale, and they managed to offload their toxic assets at a huge profit. Yeah. And they're dancing and celebrating. Is that what they did? Was it? No, no they was... no, they bought a ton. Oh, that it was the shorting the AAA tranches. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because they were the first guys to think like, 
well, wait, if these double-A tranches are as shitty as... Because they couldn't find anybody. We're skipping around, but basically what happens is after Q1 of 2007, none of the mortgage-backed securities and CDOs go down in value, even though defaults are everywhere. And that's when the, the rates start raising. While they insist that the securities are just as stable as ever, it's now going to cost you way more to insure them. Yes. Um, <laughs> your premiums are going to go way up. And that's when Michael Burry, Scion Capital, starts hemorrhaging money way, way worse. Michael Burry's fighting off his investors with a stick because he's convinced that this is right. And he's like, oh my God, this is the moment in the movie when we realize this isn't just a shitty financial product that's going to act under free market forces. This is fraud on a global scale. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. And um, the, the synthetic ones, which, sorry, we really are jumping all around, but the, yeah. the big Steve Carell sequence when yeah. he understands the gravity with the Selena Gomez and Richard Thaler yeah. explanation. Yeah. The the synthetic CDO is the big thing that just sort of where the, the failed mortgage is the tiny point at the bottom of the upside down pyramid yeah. of how much is resting on this. Yeah. It's it's terrifying. <laughs> um, um, and that's the betting whether their bet will go well and just working it down the chain and people who have no incentive to do otherwise repackaging and insisting that other people buy it and buy it and buy it and buy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I'm, I, God, I hate finance. I'm, I'm going to become a subsistence farmer. I don't take on any personal liability for these transactions. Yeah. Um, I represent my investors. I have an understanding <laughs> with Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns or whoever. Um, yeah, I guess we'll get back to the Vegas stuff in a bit. But 2007 happens um, after Venet has convinced Bomb to buy in. Um, the uh, Jamie and Charlie have gotten their uh, have used uh, Ben Rickert's ISDA to buy a bunch of this stuff. So these guys have all taken a big short position. Mm -hmm. They're all paying premiums into these insurance contracts, and they're just waiting for the whole thing to go to shit in spring of two thousand seven. Spring of two thousand seven comes, the whole thing does not go to shit. Basically, all the mortgages start defaulting. Sure, but um, no one is devaluing the CDOs. Because they're quote-unquote diversified. Mm -hmm. And basically, I mean, we could dance around like and use a bunch of acronyms, but the long and short of it is everyone's lying to themselves. Yeah. Like, everyone's lying about whether or not this market is susceptible to free market forces. Um, and in reality, I believe there were some people at this point talking like, hey guys, maybe we should be concerned. Like, defaults are on the rise. Like, Countrywide is not doing great. All that sort of stuff. But by and large, everybody was saying, no, we're doing awesome. The stock market was still going up. And poor fucking Michael Burry can't figure out why. Nobody can figure out why. Mm -hmm. um, and so... And all, all the banks that are would be involved in revaluing these things and taking an honest look at it are so deeply entrenched, it would be catastrophic for them to take an honest look yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah, because you, when, when the only thing you own is a pile of shit, you better call it fertilizer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like it. I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> so at this point, Venet uh, is saying to Bomb and his people, like, hey, you got to pay me more. Um, because, yeah, I'm calling in some collateral. Like, you got to pay me more to keep this going. Because, yeah, it's going to cost more to, like you said, insure these things, even though we swear that the CDOs haven't gone down in value. Bomb can't understand why. So everybody goes to Vegas to uh, basically a giant inv banking uh, investors convention. Um, to see, uh, like, basically the belly of the beast and see who they're betting against. Mm -hmm. Who are these assholes that keep selling these mortgage-backed securities? Let's go meet them. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, it turns out they're assholes. 
Um, <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, With the fun Steve Carell. <laughs> zero! Yes. There is a zero percent chance. <laughs> and then he takes the call and leaves, and, and Brian Gosling's right there. He goes, Mark Baum actually did that. <laughs> Got up, said zero, took the call, and left. You see what I had to deal with? <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark Baum, man, really interesting guy because, again, like it's it's he's the other side of the Ben Rickert thing. Like Ben Rickert saw the like stared into the darkness and it stared into him, and he got out of the game. And Baum, like, why do you think Mark Baum is still into the game? Because like he clearly is on a crusade. Mm-hmm. Like he's clearly the kind of guy who's like, no, you're not gonna fuck the little guy. But he's also a Wall Street trader. Like, how do you think Mark Baum lives with that kind of cognitive dissonance? I mean, I I don't know exactly how closely it the follows the fictional Mark Baum yeah, that I mean, lives in the movie. That's we what don't I was, know the real guy. That's what I was gonna say. Is like, I mean, with a changed name, I don't know how directly it exactly follows. Yeah. But I mean, the as the movie depicts, it's sort of probably a lot of unresolved issues with the suicide of his brother. Yeah. But I think uh, a big part of it is. The, like, I'm good at it and I like it even if I don't look like it, but sort of the, like, this is the best hammer I have to hit the nails on the head with. And yeah. kind of like, I see injustice everywhere and this is what I'm talented at, so I'm going to try and yeah. use it as best I can. And I'm going to compromise myself tool. some in order to keep the to keep the train moving because mm-hmm. I understand that I just kind of have to do that. But uh, I'm also going to, you know, when I can hit back, I'm going to hit back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, so from a technique standpoint, we've talked a lot about like how this movie is really effectively didactic, how it breaks the fourth wall with the Margot Robbie stuff. There's to explain CDOs. There's that Anthony Bourdain fish stew analogy, which <laughs> yeah. I really like. Um, and then there's the Selena Gomez, Richard Thaler section. Um, and then later, whenever uh, they were explaining how Brownfield Capital made its money, Jamie and Charlie both break the fourth wall and just explain what their investment strategy was. And there's a cute little graphic of when they're wrong. They were wrong small with a couple of dollars and they were big and it's a slot machine going. And it's like a cute little, like it's like schoolhouse rock, man. Um, but the other thing this movie does amazingly is uh, the use of B-roll and stock footage. Like the way it'll just cut to like a ludicrous video for a while, but it won't just cut to a ludicrous video. It'll clearly cut to like a VHS transfer of a ludicrous video or like DVD quality. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of through the medium evoking like that time because that's what shit looked like back then to see on a screen because our screens are better now because it's the future. Yeah. Um, like that fucking subtle technique is so good. Or the way it'll just cut to uh, a random just like in the middle of someone's speech it'll cut some random just shots of like tent cities um if, if it's like watch... subliminally driving home the human cost mm-hmm. at all times like this is there's somewhere in in the, somewhere in the grave of some soviet editor there is a whole <laughs> whole bunch of semen um, <laughs> well the, with the uh the guy who as mark Baum's team is investigating yeah and they come across the guy who is uh, oh, when they're oh, you're Miami. looking for my landlord's dog? Yeah. <laughs> because that's how they filled out the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. And then you see him later in the film. And I, I thought it was sort of a beautiful... When you see him and he's living out of his car now. Yeah, and it was sort of... <sighs> it was a beautiful use of... Yes, this is 95%. Like, it's awful. They lost their house and everything. But it's also intercut 
with Christian Bale talking about how he doesn't have any of his friends or anything. And it's a guy hugging his daughter and they're a family together in a shithole car at a gas yeah, station. Yeah, that guy has his family and, like, Christian Bale has... Well, he's got a pretty, from what we saw, a pretty understanding wife. Yeah, I mean, he has a family and stuff. I, I don't think it necessarily has to actually do with that character. But just from yeah. a filmmaking perspective, I thought it was a nice sort of way to contrast. Yeah. Like, not I mean, not to make the the billionaire's victims, but yeah. a nice way to sort of express that. Was this nominated for Best Editing? Editing? I'm not sure. Okay, because if it wasn't, I mean, I, I love Mad Max. I think we've both made that pretty abundantly <laughs> clear. And I do think Mad Max, If I don't know if it deserved that. Uh, fucking Oscars are so weird anyway. Like, the idea, I, I'm personally of the mind that after a certain echelon of quality in filmmaking, like, talking about a, one movie being better than another is just sort of academic. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not going to say that this is a better movie or worse movie than Fury Road because they're trying to do very different things. I do think they are of a similar echelon of quality. Mm-hmm. And I think the editing in this film stands up to anything that Fury Road does. I think this is amazing. Some of the best editing I've ever seen. I think it is amazingly edited. At, they probably didn't have as much, um, uh, like the the fireworks to set off of mm-hmm. sending out promo reels of Margaret Sixel explaining that she had to watch the footage on three x speed because about ten or twelve hours of dailies were coming in a day. Yeah. And if you watch them all, you wouldn't get any work done. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I t- I totally agree. That, like, I think that's, like, the flashier award one. That's probably why it's, like, oh, that's a fucking... Only a nut job would take on that work. Yeah, I mean, and that's... And that, this that, is more just... If, well, if we're focusing on the take. output... Yeah, that's an interesting take, because that's a lot like saying The Revenant should have won Best Picture because it was really hard to make. Natalie Portman isn't a ballerina. Don't you understand that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's... But you you are a little bit... I understand what you're saying, and I'm, I'm just kind of being a dick right now to do it. Well, I mean... But for, you, for you are Academy, kind of making a hardship Oscar argument. I'm saying that that's probably why more people voted. Copy because that. they had, yeah. Yeah. you know, okay. brighter colors to paint when sending out their promo reels. Yeah, is no, what that I'm makes a lot of sense. sense. And it, it's not that it doesn't deserve it. Like, it's a very, very extremely well-cut film. And it's not nearly as flashy with its editing. I mean, it's flashy with just every fucking thing else. <laughs> but, like, in terms of the editing of Mad Max Free Road, it's, it's just extremely good. The sheer number of cuts is yeah. probably the... Um, it's just very, very, very good. And mm-hmm. this is, like... This is definitely swinging its editing dick around a little bit more than that movie is. Would you agree with that? I think that it it plays around with a lot more editing techniques and like sort of yeah you know and I mean just the fact that Mad Max is following one group of people and yeah. this is like you have to make three different storylines mesh together. You have to explain the time we broke money. I, I guess yeah exactly. I mean I guess you could say that as much hard work as in Fury Road, there's sort of one story to edit. Yes. And not just chronologically, but literally, like one sequence of things happens to one group of people. Yeah, like it's it's I can ex- it's way easier for me to explain the plot of Mad Max Fury Road than it is for me to explain the plot of this movie. And you could have cut this movie a hundred different ways. Absolutely, yeah. I'm glad they cut it this way. I really, really love this movie. Mm-hmm. To to watch it, I had to buy it on Amazon Prime. Um, I'm glad I did. Like, <laughs> I'm going to come back to this a, a whole lot of times. I, uh, I like I, that I can just stream this whenever I want. Just incidentally, I've probably watched this three or four times. Just really? as like, it's a cool thing to have on in the background if you're sort of busying with yeah. something else. Yeah, it's it's real cool. I also like really gravitate towards uh, like shows like The West Wing and stuff that are like kind of what, what other people who are smarter than me have called competence porn. <laughs> um, and there, there's definitely an element of competence porn to this. So these guys, uh, to get back into the, the the plot of it, they go to Vegas to go to see these guys, and then that's when 
without boring you with the particulars of it, because go, go watch the fucking movie, <laughs> they uh, realize that the whole thing's fraudulent. They talk to an SEC regular played by a regulator played by um, Karen Gillan. Um, and she's just like, yeah, I'm just floating my resume to a bunch of investment banks. No, there is not a law against me and SEC regularly going and doing that. I believe grow up was her response to, yeah. isn't there a law? Yeah, like, it's crazy. <laughs> um, and it ends with, uh, these guys, basically because the, uh, the short positions have, uh, gone up in price for the B tranches, um, Jamie and Charlie and Ben Rickert, Jamie in particular, I think he's the one that has the idea to short the double A's because he's like, it's all bullshit CDOs. Like, th- who sh- who cares? I think this was also the point where it's beginning to fail and they're denying that anything bad is happening and raising the uh, the price. Yeah. So it's sort of as far as Brownfield Capital goes, they're like, okay, these are signs that we're definitely on the right track and we can no longer afford the stuff down at the bottom. Yeah. So yeah, their their limited capital sort of drove them to the genius idea of oh, we know the whole tower is going to fall anyway. Yeah, which, yeah, and they were the only guys who did it, um, which which Jamie looks at the camera and tells us and brags about. So oh, I was actually going to mention real quick, if you look into the extra features, yeah, um, sort of getting onto the different ways they tell the story and yeah. the editing, there is actually takes that they didn't use of the real guys interjecting. Oh, that's really Instead of the cool. actors. And I, I can't remember if it's the same scene with different guys doing it or if it was an entirely cut sequence. Like just pan over to the next table over and it's the <laughs> real dudes. Yeah, so like, that's it's definitely worth checking out the bonus stuff. And I don't know if it came with the Amazon. It didn't. Or um, the Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out though. Yeah. Um, so they come back from Vegas and they're like, holy shit, like everybody, uh, like Michael Burry's all in. So basically the rest of Michael Burry's story for the movie is just him getting angry emails and then eventually becoming spectacularly wealthy. Yeah. Um, it's the, 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 the rest of his story for the rest of the movie is him going up to a whiteboard, um, writing a bigger <laughs> number next to a minus sign, and then fielding calls from lawyers, watching his fund nearly go out of business because he can't afford the premiums on all the shorts he bought. Um, and then when finally the financial crisis happens, he raises the minus and writes plus 489%. <laughs> and I love when he writes the, uh, the letter to the email to Lawrence, the main guy who runs the fund, who's been trying to sue him the whole movie. And he says, uh, your profits of 295 million have been deposited <laughs> in your account. You're welcome. <laughs> Mike drop. <laughs> and with subtle editing and really making thoughtful choices, I like him writing the 489%, yeah. I think is zoomed way in. And then it's the alternate cut of him walking out of the office and it cuts back to a larger one that has the total profit count beneath it. Yes. So it's sort of, it's a fun, natural way of doing what the big block of texts yeah. as your coda would do. And which they do as well. Parsing out your information and everything. But it's a fun way to sort of even make it a rising action yeah. of doling out information that is slowly. Cool. <laughs> so these guys get back from Vegas, the other two groups, and they, well, what happens is after uh, Jamie and Charlie sell the, 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 uh, get to buy the double-A tranche uh, short positions, they're dancing and they're super stoked, and then that's when Ben turns around and says, do you understand what's about to happen? And he... I love the... It, the, the scene's great, and, you know, a really, really subdued performance from Brad Pitt throughout, and he, he stays subdued here, where he says, like, every point that unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. Um, don't fucking dance. And then he walks away, and I love... Charlie just says, I just got really scared. Um, and that's awesome because it's the mm-hmm. first time this stopped being a game for them. They're like, oh, we didn't just find an exploit in the video game. Um, we're betting against the United States economy mm-hmm. and we might end up rich, but what does that mean if there's nothing left? 
And it, it was so much fun to watch these guys realize that. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I've, it's scary. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've read a lot about sort of the cognitive research of like how uh, Disney in the future yeah. is doing, you have the wristband that's tied to your credit card mm-hmm. and you can swipe it to buy things yeah. like on Disney cruises and at the theme parks and things. Yeah. And it's sort of the more abstraction layers there are, the less you literally connect them in your mind. Yeah. So sort of money becomes more fluid and it's not the same as handing over the bill for $5 if you swipe your wristband. And it's just sort of people are are less careful the oh more God. you abstract actual money. So arcade tokens and all that kind of stuff. So then when you move into a field like this where, oh, there, it's not even mortgages. It's, you know, collateralized debt obligations of thousands of mortgages that were then cut together or cut apart and re-sewn together. Like, it's it's so easy to separate when you're yeah. abstracted a dozen layers from the fact that someone's on the street. Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's not fun. <laughs> no. That's not fun at all. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Um, so they all go back to New York and they, they're just kind of waiting for the thing to fall down. And that's when... Um, they start. That's when the the shorts at this point, I believe, start going up in value, um, because uh, what happens is the banks have started realizing because Countrywide is going under. Um, the banks have started realizing that uh, these CDOs are bullshit, and so they've started selling their toxic assets to each other and then shorting positions on the assets that they just sold to their buddies down the street. Mm-hmm. And so imagine just a big circle of people passing piles of shit around and then saying hey that guy's holding shit um and that's pretty much the whole thing um and yeah and if if this sounds like nonsense it was it was nonsense so i know a lot of this is opaque on purpose yeah but uh, let me know what you think because i'm i still am not totally sure i'd realize what ryan gosling is doing yeah so he works inside the bank is he basically just taking the short positions, like selling the CDOs from the bank so that he can take on money to help aid this, you know, this giant ballooning problem that he sees? He's taking on some extra money because he knows that eventually these things are going to have to fire sale. So he'll be buying them back, the assets, for cheaper and he'll look good because early on he started selling things and making a profit for the bank. And then he was in a position to quote, save the money on the disaster they've created by buying them back at lower rates? I'm not sure. Um, What I got from what Vinnett was doing was he had heard about the the short, uh, the mortgage-backed short or whatever you Uh can call it that Burry had invented, basically. And then he uh, turned around and started selling that for for whoever he worked for. Um, And that was... He was selling it and making people a whole bunch of money and then buying, uh, using that money and the investment funds that he controlled to buy more shorts in more places. Um, and that was how he kind of moved the thing. Because originally, they everybody was calling him Chicken Little in his office because he was trying to get... I think what he maybe what he was trying to do was just get more people to give him capital so he could invest as much as possible in mm-hmm. these things. So that And what basically what he was saying to the, the front point guys was like, Give me a whole bunch of money so I can go buy these. You're going to get super rich and I'm going to take a cut of what you make because this whole thing was my idea and I brought you the trade. Mm, um, and you need me to kind of broker the whole thing. I think hmm. um, like he's sort of a middleman for the whole thing and that's mm. how he made his money and how he got a huge bonus check out of it. And the bank likes that he's doing it because he's moving a ton of capital through their doors um, by selling this thing. 
and then he, you know, grabs some of it too. I see. So I'm overthinking it. It's just he basically taking a cut. I think um, so. I see. Yeah, I think. Um, and he worked for Deutsche Bank. He worked for, okay, yeah. yeah. There you go. Ooh, I, uh, I think that might still exist. I don't know which one still <laughs> Sounds exists. like a thing. Yeah, well, Wamu doesn't exist anymore. Wamu's gone, guys. Remember Wamu that used to have a Washington Mutual, had ATMs everywhere? Uh, it yeah. literally does not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, who was I before? I was someone else that merged into them. Too. Really? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So um, eventually, to, to make a long story short, like the, the thing becomes undeniable and people are losing their jobs at Morgan Stanley and Mark Baum goes into his uh, sort of his boss's office. They're kind of his boss. Uh, they're kind of oversee the fund that he runs that's owned by Morgan Stanley. And he says, like, look, people are packing their shit up like the writings on the wall. Like, how far into this bullshit are you guys? Um, that I've been shorting. And that's and then he finds out that Morgan Stanley owns $15 billion in CDOs. <laughs> and then he says, oh my God, I've been betting against myself. Like, they will make me liquidate my fund in order to pay off the losses on this. Yeah, um, like, or on their balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, um, and go over onto their balance sheet. So he realizes, oh God, there's a clock on this. Like, I need to sell. Um, but he's not gonna because he wants to make them hurt. Um, <laughs> and everybody else is thinking, you know, should we sell, should we sell? Um, Burry's not selling um, until the last moment. Jamie and Charlie are the first ones to get out, and they have been initiated trade for them through the uh, th- from a pub in England. And I love how the English guys are yelling at him in the background <laughs> in a great like little bit of uh, you know class consciousness. Um, Burry finally gets out. He gets rich, and then Bomb is giving an awesome speech that I guess really <laughs> happened. Um, where this dude is standing up saying like, oh yeah, I love Bear Stearns. I know they just took a loan from Chase um, to cover this stuff, but the health of the, the state of the economy is super strong. Um, and then from the start of the speech to the end, it loses 35% of its value. And I love uh, Mark Baum saying like, oh yeah, we basically built an atomic bomb. And then someone asks him the question, uh, you know, do you, are you aware that Bear Stearns just lost 35% of its value? Would you still buy more stock? And he goes, yeah, I sure would. And then Mark Baum just goes, Boom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I guess ties in well to. I was going to mention just that I thought Steve Carell in particular did a wonderful job. Yeah. As someone who I feel like is. I always like watching him, but I feel like it can be a little sticky and unnatural. Yeah. But that's sort of the slightly um, sort of hyper and hyper reality tone of this. Uh, helped him sort of slot in with everyone perfectly. Yeah. And yeah. I just think it was a joy to watch the... Well, and he, he keeps saying, and you really get this feeling, that he feels the need to make them hurt, but he also, like, doesn't, like, take any pleasure in it. Um, because he's... I mean, there's that great scene with him uh, and his wife where he is kind of kind of coming to terms uh, with, his, with his brother's suicide and the fact that he wasn't able to help him because he was so wrapped up. The feeling you get about this guy is that he was a... Uh, he was basically Jared Bennett and then his brother killed himself and he didn't do as much as he feels now he should have done to stop it. Mm-hmm. And now he lives with that guilt and now he goes on these crusades to try and use his powers for good. But he's still like in the world. Right. Um, and that's why he says like, self-involved like, and macho. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, like he can't shake those things about himself that made him good at this in the first place. But uh, when he gives that speech that ends with boom, um he says like this doesn't make me happy like this makes me sad because i know what's going to happen they're going to bail everything out and they're going to blame immigrants and poor people mm-hmm. um which uh since you dear listener live in 2016 <laughs> you know that's what happened prescient yes um <laughs> so yeah the financial crisis happens and they eventually do sell and um 
yeah, they, 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 uh, they, everybody ends up super rich, uh, but at the end of the day, we are no better off and we're exactly where we were. Um, so yeah, it's this, it, it, the story ends with like, yay, these dudes are wealthy, but on the other hand, like at what cost? And, uh, that's plot wise, pretty much a glib re restating of the big short. Um, <laughs> we glossed it a little bit guys, but, uh, it's, 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 it's a whole lot to, uh, it's a whole lot to get. Um, so and, yeah. And I mean, as we mentioned, they have the sort of the fun coda, as yeah. opposed to being pure angry <laughs> yeah. about where even as they're talking about this is our chance to kick them in the teeth, at least a few people go to jail. They'll probably have to split up the banks. Yeah. <laughs> and then then they have that great thing set to Neil Young's Rockin' in the Free World. Where they're just like, that's what happened. And it was great. We regulated the banking industry, except we didn't. <laughs> and one guy went to jail in Iceland. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Who took on $1.3 billion in losses, which isn't even that much. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. And now in 2015, people are starting selling something called a bespoke tranche opportunity, which is a CDO. Yeah. And so not a, not letting one chilling Coda thing being enough, then they have the other Dr. Michael Burry yeah. uh, at the end of his Coda. They say he's pretty much gotten out of the stock game and all that, but he makes limited investments in one resource water <laughs> yeah uh so yeah guys that's uh that's the big short it's uh supremely successful at being didactic and also like encapsulating this huge thing like it, it's the the genius device of using all that b-roll and like weird subliminal shit to cut to um really like sells the emotion of what's going on like all you it turns out all you need to really get it is like like fucking 35 frames of a tent city like cut <laughs> into the middle of somebody's speech that's it. That's all they do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a genius move. And it like watching it the second time really made me understand like how much emotion I was feeling because of that choice. Um, the editor does mention that I think, and or maybe you know the uh, the director talking about about the editor yeah. about how that can be a really powerful uh, mechanic yeah. that he'd never really seen before. Of people don't have to be done talking when you cut away from them, and it can sometimes be more powerful. Yeah, it's great. And I I didn't like. I mean, the first time I watched it, I definitely thought at the end like, wow, there sure was a lot of like little subliminal B roll shit in there. But like the second time, you know, looking at it again, I was like, this is really 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 well done yeah and sometimes i mean just the like like i said cut into that ludicrous video at the beginning it was just <laughs> great because like ludicrous is such a great symbol for that era <laughs> or like the way like it shows the passage of time just by cutting to like segments of a britney spears interview mm. um and like remember the shit we used to care about when we are being erected yeah and like that's like, like just like ludicrous and fucking britney spears and like all this dumb shit that was our <laughs> lives before like all the shit that mattered like it really like the, like it showed it was cool that it took these few seconds in the film to show like the top layer of the house of lies mm -hmm. you know what i mean um yeah really really good and of course the fourth brawl breaky stuff's just really well done this the movie's just wall to wall it's awesome and it's the guy who made anchorman yeah which i love anchorman but it's kind of a mess and if you if you watch the the features the yeah. um adam mckay was like weirdly drawn to this like it, yeah. this was not some kind of fluke where he was offered something because you know they had another movie on contract or whatever yeah they talk about how he read this years ago and it like stuck in his mind and yeah. at one point someone asked if he wanted to do something more serious and that like leapt to mind yeah. as he would love to capture it yeah um i guess just one real quick thing i thought i would uh, spell out is that 
we've been going a lot into sort of the intellectual side and how we know a decent amount about how this actually worked going into it. Yeah. This is also like a fun, interesting movie. Even if you only pick up half of what's going on, yeah. like it's well acted, it's fun. Yeah. It's totally worth seeing even if you don't give that much of a and shit about it. Really it really rewards rewatching because finance is super fucking complicated. Yeah. Like all that shit about uh the 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 passing the piles of shit around that I explained earlier, I didn't get that until this time. Mm-hmm. Um I like spent the first watching, I spent a lot like the last 30 minutes just sort of taking some shit on faith and being in a mild state of confusion. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm glad I like kind of dialed in a little bit more this time but I'm excited to watch it a third time and see what else I understand I'm excited to go read the book um, and I'm excited to watch the next movie we're going to watch because our next movie is going to be Wall Street nice um, yeah we're uh, we're going back to where it started guys we're going to watch 80's Greed next um, and you want to talk about a didactic fucking movie we're going to watch an Oliver Stone picture and that is a dude with some shit to say I'm excited I haven't seen that movie in forever oh really yeah. oh yeah I haven't seen it in a while but it's I, I get the feeling we're going to have a lot of fun uh, sort of contrasting this movie's depiction of Wall Street trading with that one. I did, I almost picked, uh, you'd probably have to watch it twice, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a movie called Margin Call. I don't um, think so. Yeah, it is, uh, it was made a couple of years ago, it was the first movie to really tackle this, and it's uh, a movie about the financial crisis, it's about like the day it happened. And oh, wow. basically what happened was, uh, it all takes place inside the walls of this one fictional investment bank, and it's about like at five o'clock in the evening, this guy stays late one day, and he starts taking a closer look at uh, <laughs> CDOs, and he's like, oh my god, like, this shit's worthless. Um, all this AAA stuff that's been rated AAA by rating uh, by the rating agencies, Standard & Poor's and shit, uh, it actually is shit, and it's about to go belly up. And it, like, it goes from, like, 5 p.m. until, like, 5 a.m., and it ends with the sun coming up the next day. <laughs> um, and, like, in between, there are boardroom meetings, like, Zachary Quinto's in it, and Demi Moore is in it, and, huh. like... It's really, really, really good. If you haven't seen it, check out Margin Call, guys. Um, really, un- really underrated film. Hmm. Um, and like the ending, I mean, you know, because it, it is about the financial crisis, <laughs> so it ends with the financial crisis happening. Uh-huh. And it's this great moment at the end of them, like these people standing and just sort of looking out the window of New York and just going like, oh my God, like in three hours, the whole world is going to change. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, that's it, guys. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, Facebook.com slash Reviews. Or now, I believe, JP has set it up. So you can just go to refriedreviews.com. goes right to our Facebook page. You can tell us what you thought about The Big Short. Tell us if you think we're wrong. Uh, maybe I don't know shit about movies. I don't know. Um, so in the future, when Facebook is a long-forgotten relic, <laughs> Refried Reviews will forward you to wherever. Yes! Uh, <laughs> where we're going to live on past Zuckerberg's little boondoggle. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's it. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about with the big short? Mm, no, I think that about covers it. Cool. Yeah, we're done here, guys. Um, we gotta go. Talk to you next time. And, uh, in, 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 until then, um, you know, like, put, put your money in index funds. Yeah. Um, those are at least in the long run pretty stable. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah.